You have entered the 13, a place where real stories about music, touring, and the beyond are told. Music does something to us. We all experience it in our own way. It can affect our senses, transport us through time, and release emotions. On this podcast, we will talk with people about the power of music and the beyond. What does the beyond mean? Let's find out together. Turn on your metronomes because this time is about to be tracked. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to The 13. I am Ryan 13. Today, we are joined by the Thunder God himself, Billy Sheehan. Billy, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. It's Sheehan, not Sheehan. Sheehan. It's like Ian with a sh in front of it. Sheehan. I've, see, I always heard the King's X guys. I thought they always said it a little different myself, so I wasn't yeah. 100% Here sure. Here in Nashville, sometimes, Billy Sheehan. So. Sheehan, okay. So, Sheehan. okay, hey, I got it right. Or I got it wrong, and I have it right now. Right. Um, no matter. So, what, uh, for the people who don't know, and I, this is going to be a really weird thing. This is what I tell all my guests. But at, for the people who don't know you, um, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? I play bass. And uh, I've done it for about 55 years, done about 6,000 shows. I don't know how many records I've made, but every time there's an autograph thing, somebody brings a pile of CD covers like that. Oh, yeah. I say, are you sure I played on this? He goes, that says right there. So, so I've been okay. playing a long time. I played in uh, Talos, my band from Buffalo, who's had a new record coming out after 30-some years. Um, David Lee Roth, Mr. Big, oh, yeah. was probably my most successful band uh ufo i did a tour with them i played with steve Vai. i played with uh, a band called niacin dennis chambers on drums a hammond b3 uh player um and uh now uh, uh winery dogs yeah. which is really one of my favorite bands too sons of apollo and uh a few other things through the that's, years that's awesome that's exactly the list i put on my sheet of paper here like all of those i was like perfect this is great Think i didn't have to add anybody else um well you you know all your bands and the winery dogs i literally just got into y'all uh like i knew you had joined a band with mike portnoy but i guess i just hadn't heard it yet but i started listening to it the other day i was like holy crap like why yeah. did i take so long to get to this this is great i met mike a lot like in 2004 once at a king's x show and he yeah he ran into doug's dressing room opened the door and looked down at me and i was hanging out on the couch with my buddy sean and he goes where's doug he was like, uh, he's in the shower. And he goes, tell him I need some green later. And then left. And I was like, that was Mike Portnoy. He just walked in here. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was pretty funny. I thought it was, uh, that's a good, it's the only time I ever met him. And then he let me stand behind his drum kit for a little while, which was cool. Oh yeah. So our mutual friends, like Doug told me to tell you, Doug from King's X told me to tell you hello, by the way, the other day, he said, I wonderful. love Billy. Tell him I said, hi. Well, uh, I love Doug. He's a wonderful guy. And I, I, I've known him for many, many years, and it's fantastic. Okay, awesome. I'll tell them you said what's up. Uh, how yeah. do you guys know each other? Because they talk about you all the time on the tour bus, like all the time. Well, I uh, we were uh, me and me and Doug. You mean uh, you and Doug, or you and Ty, or you and Jerry? Everybody's like a big. We fan. were early. Mister Big was on Atlantic Records, and we were both there at the same time. Okay. Kind of in this, they had the same people working with us. And uh, the first moment I heard King's X, I absolutely loved them. So every time we saw them, we would just gush. Uh, 
uh, superlatives, uh, what they did and how, how great they were. Then uh, Gretchen goes to Nebraska, came out second record, and that was even even yeah. as good as the first. I couldn't say better because they're just so great. And we've just been a huge uh, uh, fans, and uh, we've spread the word of King's X far and wide to people. I remember turning certain musicians on to King's X that loved them so much that they put bands together to kind of be like King's X. Sure. I mean, professional pro musicians and such. And uh, and, so, and they've been copied by so many people, their sound and their songs, and oh, just yeah. uh, I just love them. So every time uh, uh, Doug moved to L.A. my last few years that I was in L.A., so we got to hang around a bit more. But I've moved out now, but I still see him a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, when he moved to L.A., I was sad because I met him in Katy, Texas, where I'm from, and we always got to hang out. He was in my my wedding. You know, I've known him for 25 years or whatever and he's a great great dude um so the winery dogs are you do you guys have anything new coming out i think i you posted something on facebook the other day this is about talus though but it was a talus song was it was that a new talus song it is a new talus song because it's a new talus record oh my gosh okay after after since well, the last time we played together was 1985, and that's the name of the record. We went okay. back in a little time machine and got all those songs that we were performing live that were never recorded properly and and did it. Uh, your initial uh, comment about the Winery Dogs was uh, we have that new record is done, mixed, mastered, ready to go. Awesome. That will probably come out nah, maybe, I don't know, but the Talos record comes out first next month, and then after that at some point will be the Winery Dogs record. Well, that's great. The song I heard was amazing. Like I was like, and it was like you posted it, and like maybe five seconds later, like everyone in the world loved it. You know, that's <laughs> really that was cool. Um, yeah, we're uh, very fortunate. I did a bunch of interviews earlier today with some British okay. and uh, and European uh, uh, press, and they're they're over the moon about it. So I'm very 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 pleased and thankful to hear that. It's people are really enjoying it so far. Awesome, great. Um, so here's a weird thing I like to do on this. I like to just talk tour stories. My, I have favorite tour stories from stuff I've done with Kings X or the bands I've been in. I know you probably have a lot of tour stories you probably like, but don't really share that often. What's one you that just sticks out? This like I can be from the seventies, eighties, nineties, now, yesterday. Like, what's one that sticks out to you? Well, there are, uh, I've been asked many times to do a book because I've got a quite a collection of stories, uh, uh, this various subjects, uh, yeah. one, uh, bands that destroyed their own careers, <laughs> There's a whole bunch of them. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, some, some that would be, uh, I wouldn't say in front of mixed company, Understood. Uh, but, uh, and uh, all kinds of different categories of uh, what's going on on stage and what's going on backstage and on the tour bus and stuff. But generally, the bands I've been in have been pretty, pretty clean living. I mean, sure. I, I haven't even had an aspirin since 1971. Okay. You know, I, uh, I don't do any drugs at all. I enjoy a glass of wine or maybe a shot of whiskey or so, a little bit of that. That's fine. Sure. But, right. but uh, And most of the bands I've been in have been pretty clean as far as that goes. I've never really had to deal with... Uh, any kind of that insanity fortunately oh, sure. and fortunately for all my compatriots we're all healthy generally all healthy uh, but uh yeah back in the club days we had all kinds of wacky things happen because we were 
you know, we were at the mercy of a lot of uh, factors and forces that we could not control. Yeah. And uh, I remember one time we got to this club in Tallis and uh, we got there and they, they gave us the dimensions of the stage, you know, they sent it to us. So we knew how big okay. the club was and we could fit all our gear. We had to, we had to make sure that the club can handle, cause we had a huge PA and sound and lights and all that. So we get there and the stage is about 10 feet wide. I go, we can't even get our drum riser up there. And there was an opening act too. And they're out in the parking lot waiting for us to make a decision. So I, I, I called our agent and he said, well, we'll call the owner and have him come down there. I said, oh man, there's no way we can set up. If we set up, the PA will be looking in between the two stacks. Like, hi, is anybody out there? You know, right. <laughs> it's too small and, um, and no dressing room. They said they had a dressing room, uh, no nothing. They said all these things and nothing was there. So, uh, uh, and we were big, just in the beginning of a run of about like 20 cities. So we, uh, I sat in the office for a while waiting for the manager to come and I noticed a couple of papers out there. I didn't, I didn't uh, go through anything, but I just noticed a couple of uh, envelopes and the addresses on there and various things like that and made note of it. Then the uh, owner comes and said, look, we got, you know, we can't even, we can't even set up half the PA. We just can't fit in here. Uh, unfortunately, you, you told us, you know, here's the thing where you told us it was this. We can plainly see that it is not, and we just yeah. can't do it. And it would be unfair, uh, you know. So I'm really sorry, you know. Uh, uh, we we won't we need the gig. You can't go out and you can't blow off gigs. Right. Uh, uh, every gig's money adds up to the point halfway through the tour where you hit go from the red to the black. And then from then on, you make your uh, profit. So right. we you can't just throw a, a gig away. One of the, it's one of the worst things you could do is cancel a gig. Right. Uh, even on a professional level, it just causes so much trouble. So uh, we didn't want to do it. So um, the guy, another one, a friend of his showed up and they're out there talking. And I said to the crew guys, well, because uh, I, I said, make a show of it, at least pull some of the stuff out of the truck like we're trying, but we know we can't fit it in here. Right. So I go, okay, put it back in the truck. And I go, and I thought, well, I'll I feel bad. I went over to the guy and said, um, hey, I'm really sorry uh, about the miscommunication. You know, I apologize. You know, the opening act here is going to do the show tonight and they should be, you should have a good night. So, but I, I really uh, apologize for, for, you know, whatever. You know, it wasn't our fault at all. It was his fault, but I just right. want to try it keep good politics so i said uh yeah i, I i'm really sorry he goes maybe someday we'll, we'll be able to work together uh, pretty soon and he goes not within 500 miles of my bar yeah uh, and i said well, what do you mean he goes i'm gonna make sure you guys don't ever play in any any bar within you know 500 miles of here <laughs> i say well i'm sorry you feel that way but we we can't get our gear in here uh, and then he mumbled something he's pissed off and everything and so we get we get in the car and uh, start driving, and I see a phone booth. I said, "Hold on a second, pull over." Oh, damn it, I was pissed. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, on, it's pretty much standard at all rock shows during that time. There's the power that comes in from the pole outside to the building in a big giant thing, and there's these live wires uh, coming into the uh, circuit breaker box, and you take alligator clips and clip them onto the box for your lighting. Okay. It'll blow every circuit right, right. directly to the feed that's going into the building. And it's a little dangerous. And sometimes we have guys hold on to the other guy's shirt and get ready if he gets hit to pull him off. And we had a couple of times when the, the clip hit the metal side and bah, 
and it blew up and everything like that. So totally illegal. But every band did right. it and everywhere, every every place had it. Once in a while, somebody gets smart and they put in a proper plug, the big 220 plug, like right. you plug a dryer into. And yeah. then that started to go on. But there was, you know, the, that, that was standard operating procedure. So we pull over and I, 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 I called uh, the local fire department. I forgot how I even got that number, whatever. Anyway, uh, I said, hi, uh, we're, we're from a band out of Buffalo, New York. We're supposed to play at the blah, blah, blah club. And uh, for some reason, you know, the club owner, I just wanted to check with you guys about our liability. The club owner said we could take alligator clips and clip them right onto the hot wire coming off the, the utility pole outside. And I just wanted to make sure if, if is that legal? And if it is, you know, if something happens, are we liable? And the guy goes, well, <laughs> I could tell the guy was like, well, well, thanks for telling us, you know, uh, we'll, we'll check into it. So we took off. We go <laughs> on to the next week. Okay, we'll stay in the hotel where we're supposed to stay in tomorrow night, pay an extra night. We're there. The phone rings about, and about, we got in, we got in super late. Uh, so the phone rang early in the morning, about yeah. 4.30 or 5 in my room. Hello? It's the agent he goes, what did you do? I go, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? After you guys left the club, about 10 fire trucks came roaring into this guy's uh, parking lot, went through the whole place, got every violation, uh, uh, cited him uh, with a, like a stack of papers of violation and shut him down. I, I go, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Well, so we, get, we got our once for once uh, a little bar band got back at a club owner. Generally, we were best friends with most all the club owners. Absolutely, That's why sure. it, it pissed me off that the guy got so went after me in a way, you know, uh, threatening uh, not to ever have me play again uh near his club or in his state or where or whatever. Five hundred miles from the club. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. What? So, so for that's once, a great story. For once we got one in. <laughs> That's awesome. I I played in a band called Razor 13 that Doug sang in, and we had a show in, um, where was it? It was Fort Worth. But a similar thing. They, like, we showed up, and they hadn't done any promotion for us. The stage wasn't big enough for us. The, everything was wrong, but we were playing no matter what. And we uh, somehow got in there, played, and got paid, but we played to no one. Like, wow. like it was just an empty stage in Fort Worth, but hey, we got paid. We played, I think it was in Delaware, on a club that was on a pier out over the water, giant club too. And uh, it was like a two-zero Wednesday night. We got there. There was literally one table, four guys at the table, and uh, if you don't play, they're not going to pay you. So, right. you know, well, let's do the show. We did it like there was a uh, ten thousand people there. And they were out there and they're clapping, drinking beers. We said hello to them afterwards, whatever. Right. I ran into every one of those guys over the years. Really? I was walking down Sunset Boulevard. I goes, hey, you remember you played this club over the water and me and my friends? Are like, yeah, I remember. There's only four. Of you. Uh, a few years later, same thing, you know, in LA. Another time I played a show, went out back. Hey, we remember a club in Delaware? And so I ran into all four of those guys at one point or another as the years went by. So a lot of, a lot of stories like that. That's awesome. It's totally worth it then. You know, you played to the four guys and, and they were like a human billboards for us for years. So. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Um, I have questions that some of my friends asked me to ask you. All right. And um, so as long as it isn't, who are my influences? I'll answer anything. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
this what this is not that this is from marzi Montezari. he uh used to play with phil and samo on the illegals and of a whole bunch of other bands exporter and everything um he says when and where did you start tapping 1974 billy gibbons and zz top opening up for alice cooper buffalo new york war memorial auditorium new year's eve and I looked up and I, we, we knew the promoter, for, so we were in the front row or the second row. And I was actually in the shadow of Billy Gibbons' hat from the backlight. It was unbelievable. He was wow. right there, 1974. And I saw him go, bend a note, bend a note, and hit it. And I thought, I had no idea you could hit a note with this hand on <laughs> yeah. the fretboard. Unbelievable. So my friend, we're looking at each other, did you see that? Unbelievable. So we, I uh, got home, and sure enough, uh, this might work. And I started to develop a little thing about it, and uh, that was my shtick for a long time until '78, about four or five years later, and uh, uh, eruption came on the radio. <laughs> oh, there it goes, there goes. But but Ed uh, is 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 the uh, indisputable king of popularization and. Uh, uh, standardization if you will of that you know he 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 I, I would never be so foolish to make any kind of a claim but i was doing it in 74 wow. from billy gibbons and so i told billy gibbons oh, i had a great opportunity to 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 meet him i'm sorry and I, when i when i do interviews people always ask me well, where'd you get tapping on 1974 billy gibbons billy gibbons mm -hmm. 74 billy gibbons billy gibbons easy top billy gibbons and so uh, i finally met billy one time in a, a studio Lita Ford was recording, and a friend of mine oh, asked wow. me to come on down and say hello. And I went, and Billy was there. They're oh, unbelievable. And so I met him. We talked. So they went and recorded. Me and Billy sat in the kitchen of the uh, recording studio and talked. He's a walking encyclopedia. He's just the oh, greatest. He knows, uh, he knows about everything. So we were talking and hanging and hanging and talking and talking and hanging. And, well, it's getting kind of late. We better get out of here. He goes, he goes, hold on a second. I got something for you. He reaches in his bag and pulls out. I got it on the wall. I can't turn my camera to you right now. Pulls out a framed photo of himself autographed to me and i said wow uh, i get apparently he knew i was going to be there that night right i go wow what's this for and he goes he goes i read what you've been saying about me in the interviews he goes keep it up awesome that's so <laughs> cool what a cool story <laughs> yeah he's a, and uh, he actually came to my home in la and played on uh my first solo record not my first my third solo record and uh what a what a grandmaster he had a he brought a guitar but I think he might have just grabbed the wrong guitar it was strung too heavy for him he, he, okay. he actually plays on uh, eights or really? sevens now wow. really super late but as okay. soon as you this tone is unmistakable so the guitar wasn't really working for him so I had a hundred a hundred and twenty dollar fake Chinese Strat that a friend had given me as a joke gift but I had tuned it down B to B. B E A D F sharp B. So it's too tuned to baritone. So the strings were just flopping around on it. And it was a cool sound though. I use it to write a lot. Sure. Super deep floppy sound. So I said, Billy, you want to try this? So he took the $120 strat, plugged it into a pod, line six pod, yeah. and that's on the record. So as soon as I play that song for somebody, I say, okay, tell me who you think the guitar player is. The moment it starts, like Billy Gibbons? instantly recognizable that is billy gibbons is hilarious yeah dude that's so cool i i ran into him at a sushi place here in houston accidentally uh 
I was just hanging out with some friends, and here comes Billy Gibbons walking by all willy-nilly, and my it was my wife's girlfriends, and they didn't know who he was, and I like... <laughs> He's probably one of our greatest uh, treasures uh, in America right now. When Dusty passed away, that was a catastrophic. Yeah, was uh, super sad. And his new bass player, uh, Elwood, Yeah, that was Steve Vai's guitar tech on the Eat Him and Smile tour. And that's okay. why I have that's why I have uh, skateboard stickers on my bases because they were getting so wet on tour. Elwood gave me a bunch of stickers I put on over the bare wood to keep it from getting wet, and that was uh, that was where my all my skateboard stickers go. But now he's playing bass for ZZ Top, and he's a wonderful guy. That's awesome. Yeah, he is playing bass. There's a, a show coming around here not too long from now with the uh, Elwood playing bass. Um, speaking of techs. Do you have a long time tech or do you, are you like Doug and just kind of grab whoever you can or do you tech yourself? I do a lot of things myself, but I have a, a gentleman named Jeff Mallard who's been with me for, no oh man, since, uh, oh, easily over 20 years. Oh, nice. Uh, we've been together and he takes care of uh, my bases on stage. He's usually the stage manager as well, but hmm. I, I do. I don't, I'm, I'm really low maintenance. I don't really need anybody to do much of anything for me. Uh, I'll usually change my strings myself because if there's anything not right, I'll know about it right away. And I won't get any surprise when I walk on stage. Right. And plus it gives, you know, the crew guys usually are overworked and underpaid. So it gives one less thing for him to have to deal with. I just changed my strings, but I, I like to do that. I see where everything sits, any problem with anything. I can see it right away and correct it. Um, monitor wise i need so 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 little okay and, uh, it just i've never been too dependent on a, a tech back okay, in the day right. before we had techs i built my own gear my own racks did all my own base modifications i never i never refretted a neck but i did all the fret dressing and fret work and all the electronics and pickups and uh ground hum uh, troubleshooting for giant racks of gear so yeah. I, I i generally never needed a guy it's nice. It's a nice luxury to have one, but usually I make life easy for him. Okay. Uh, if I, like if I, I went to Japan uh, one time to tour with a Japanese band for a summer and the crew guy, he had the easiest gig in the world. because I'd, I'd hand him my bass freshly strung. Just make sure it's in tune before I give it to me. Okay, yeah. thanks. All right. Halfway through the show, I give him a little wave. We're fine. Show's on here. Have a beer. That's awesome. So, well, that's you. awesome, Doug. I used to tech for Doug. He made me string his 12 string all the time. And oh, it'd be like, it was like five minutes before the show. And we realized that we had bass world was all set up and guitar world ties. Guitar world was all set up. And what we didn't know was when we were getting the band ready to come on stage, they had been blasting the, um, the fog machine and the fog machine, which none of us saw, was pointed directly at Doug's 12-string, which he started using on the second on the second song. So they came out there and pushed it back a little bit, and I went upstairs. I was in Europe, and I went and re -restring, re restrung the whole thing and made it back to him by the fourth song. But anyway, long story short, it's it take, you know how long it takes to tune a 12-string. It was forever, and, I, and it wasn't really right. I'm still yeah, right about it. <laughs> cool. Cool, man. Let me move on to uh, another uh, fan or friend. Uh, this one's from my buddy, Vincent Fink. And he says, do you think you'd ever do another album with David Lee Roth? It's up to Dave. 
up to Dave. Okay. And this is something somebody asked me on the way home today. They were like, back when you played with David Lee Roth, did he fill all the Jack Daniels bottles with iced tea? No, that was the guy in Quiet Riot did that. Dave okay. busted him for it. Oh, and that was, that was okay. a joke off. So people through time have confused the two. Confused oh, the two. That, yeah, this guy was a roadie uh, or a stagehand and told my friend that. And then that's it's why they true. asked me. Okay, I didn't know that. That's good to know. No, Dave was a, Dave's an honest man. <laughs> and, he, and that was all real. And then Kevin Dubo saw him do it. So I'll get it. I'll fill it with iced tea. But he got busted for it. So. Okay, well, good. I'm glad he did it for real then and not uh, the other dude. Uh, the P-Base, your wife, the wife. Um, there she is right there. Wow. How long? I mean, how next long? To her, I, next to her sister, which is very little known about her. She was always on the truck uh, when we played back in the day. I had it as a backup bass. Really? I don't know if I ever played a show with it, maybe a song or two. Uh, and then next to it is is the 30 year anniversary Yamaha Attitude, which is done in the same colors as the original uh, wife bass. Man, that's awesome. I man, I you know I play bass a little bit, and man, look at that collection. I got one. <laughs> I haven't played in a long time. I've I've been well, in oil and a, gas for a while. There's there's it keeps on going, and then around wow. the, around the corner there's another wall, and then four racks as well. So. There's a lot of bases, but generally all my bases, I don't have any really, I have a couple collectibles, but I, I've, I've never really been into, uh, you know, some vintage old things. Cause most, all of them are utility instruments. Sure. Designed to be on stage, to be sweated on, maybe get a bump here and there or whatever. Uh, I just posted a photo of me throwing the bass in the air on the Facebook. That's that base. That's the original okay. base. That was, people always ask me uh, uh, the different bases I use through the year through the years I go there's only one there's that's only one her. that's what, that's what I use that for everything I use that for all of all the way up to David Lee Roth and then then I only use the pink Yamaha base which is next to the I saw a right picture here. of that on your website yeah. the other day yeah that's I only use that for an encore on the Eat Him a Smile uh, tour then I use it on a couple of records but most everything, everything I'd done prior to uh, 91, when, when the first version of this attitude bass came up was, was, it was my, was that bass. So. Uh, when I was looking, cause you've made this really easy for me. I ask everybody about gear and I like to talk about gear cause it, I don't, it's fun to me. Um, but you have a whole list on your website of everything you use. And I just, I, clicked on it and i was like i don't know what half this stuff is <laughs> well, like, the website's out of date and uh okay. that stuff was used at one point uh and i had giant racks i started with the rack gear in about 1972 or three okay. i don't know but i had to be one of the first guys to have racks of gear on stage yeah and they didn't have anvil racks they had bud racks which are made of steel Okay. You'll see them in radio stations, big high racks, yeah, all made, all made of metal. So I had two of them uh, in anvil cases because anvil didn't make racks yet. No, actually, we didn't have anvil cases yet. I remember when, when they, we first saw our first anvil case, and then I had two cases made for those racks eventually. And then they came out with anvil racks, so I used those those racks. But we, ha I had a rack going up to the, it's taller than I was, and uh, had. Uh, all pro audio stuff in it, pro audio or custom made. 
So I stopped using regular amps like about in the mid seventies. Okay. Custom preamps, pro audio compression and crossovers, uh, uh, BGW power amps. Uh, the BGW 750 was famous because it was used for the movie earthquake in the theaters to shake the subwoofers when the earthquake happened. Oh, that wow. was their, that, that was their, their sales pitch, all JBL pro audio, uh, right. speakers back in the day. So it was, uh, I learned a lot about audio and how things work, how compression works and EQ and, and uh, things of that nature. So that was really handy for me eventually later on when I, you know, especially if I don't have a tech or a crew guy, I, I, I we'd be playing a show and something would go wrong. And the, one of the tech guys would look at me like, I don't even know where to start. And I go, check the input of the crossover. The cord came out. <laughs> you know, Holy cow. How did he know that? You know, so uh, that worked. pretty conversant with all the gear uh, through the years. And now uh, the Helix is here and it's my two of my personal components, my uh, Pierce preamp and my uh, uh, Ashley audio uh, compressor. They took, they use my units to model in the software of the Helix. Oh, so when you buy oh. the Helix, you get my original Dan Pierce uh, BC uh, one preamp which was on everything I recorded since, oh God, about 1980. Uh, and also the Ashley Audio uh, compressor, which is a really sweet compressor. So now I just have to plug it in, dial a few things up. I got my whole rack in a little box and it's a beautiful thing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, like emulators a few years ago. So you mentioned Line 6 Pod. And when the Line 6 Pod first came out, I was like, wow, this is really cool. It's all in this little bean shaped thing. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't where it is now, you know, yeah. like, you know, emulation well, has come a long way. The, uh, and when that pod first came out, the kidney shape pod, I go, man, I can't wait to plug this into some power amps. It's going to be amazing loud. Yeah. It wasn't. It was. It was, it was a different thing between yeah. quiet in the studio, uh, and loud through speakers on stage. So, uh, but it was good, yeah. but it really wasn't totally usable live. Uh, and then they, they've corrected all that now, I believe. And, uh, I was talking with a couple of famous producers at a party here in Nashville and uh, there's about five of us in a circle and they were all laughing because I don't know how many years it's been since we plugged in a cabinet and put a mic in front of it. They just don't do it anymore. Wow. The guitars are all done on, uh, with modeling. Yeah. They, that, yeah. Doug just got one of his, he got that tech 21 thing going for him too. So instead of carrying his giant racks upstairs, his roadies yeah. and techs, since I don't work for them anymore, have had the easiest job ever. But I'll tell you what, going to Smith's old bar in uh, Georgia and trying to walk straight up the flight of stairs with Doug's two racks was hell on this guy and whatever guy we got from the, the show. I mean, that stuff was heavy. You guys would have all kinds. I'm sure you had all kinds of stuff in there, you know, this racks upon racks upon racks of just fun stuff. It was and then, taller than me. It was then you had, than I was. Oh my gosh. I'm six one. So and then so yeah, me too. And so you had backup, you probably had backups in there too. Like so if yeah, something we were, went down, you could just plug plug out and plug in. Yeah, we were prepared for any eventuality. That's awesome. That's great. I remember one time being in um God, where were we? Um Florida. That's right, because the walls were water. It was so humid and we were playing an outside stage and Doug's rig went down and it's the first time it had ever happened to me. I'm like a new tech and he looks at me. He's like, there's another one on the bus. And I had to go run and grab another, um, 
the SVT or, uh, I mean, actually right I think it's that one that's sitting back there. Um, so move it on. Look, I even have, I got a list of print out list of all your stuff, but we'll move on from gear. Cause I know you got a lot of stuff to do and I really appreciate you being here with me. Yeah. I've been uh, practicing a lot. I play hours and hours and hours a day practicing. So really? Yeah. Like you have to, man, dude, I was watching a video of you the other day and like, you're so you're already so good and you're now you're move you're still moving forward. You haven't ever plateaued. Never. No, I got to keep going. There's, there's more, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, uh, it's, uh, I spent hours get up, feed the cat, come down here and start hitting it. And if I'm tired, I'm laying on the couch and I got to lay down. No, get up, hit it, hit it again. And, uh, but it's been great. I've learned all kinds of new things, got all kinds of new moves, rehabilitated old things that I threw away years ago and fine tuned things. And, uh, then I also took all my bases pretty much all of them one at a time out to my garage workshop and did the fret dressing and, uh, the, uh, the on the pots inside and, uh, every little maintenance thing they needed. So yeah. I uh, usually post about a tool and people, people find it pretty interesting. So I'm going to continue on with that. Yeah. Awesome. The, is the base that I saw on your Facebook page and I don't know, this was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, but you said, look, it's almost new. There's a picture taken 1970 something. Is that the oh, yeah, wife? That was uh, my, uh, that was the wife. That was the, that wife. Was the wife. Yeah. And it initially had, uh, cause it's got a Gibson EBO pickup in this position, okay. which on the Yamaha, this is a DiMarzio uh, version, but I it initially had four knobs but I never used the tone control for the P bass. So I took it off. And, uh, but these two knobs were for the Gibson pickup. So I had Gibson knobs on there and okay. then fender knobs on the other two. And eventually I made them all fender knobs. And, uh, but that was, yeah, I started, I started hacking away at that bass very early on. My, my dad and my brother were pretty good, uh, <coughs> mechanical skilled people. So I had, there's a lot of tools around the house and things like that. And, uh, Sure. I did take wood shop in high school. It was one of my favorite yeah. subjects I ever took in school. And I've learned so much from it. It saved me tens of thousands of dollars being able to fix stuff and do things that oh, I would have wow. never known anything about unless I took that. So, of course, that applied to my base uh, and because it's made of wood. And so we, uh, right. uh, I uh, have done a lot of work on my instruments on my own, which is nice because you can kind of fine tune it to yourself instead of giving it to somebody getting a bag going eh, close but no cigar one more you know back and forth so this way i can really get it to where i want it to be that was a big help i think in the early years because uh i wasn't fighting the base ever right oh that's awesome that's yeah. awesome see yeah i'm not i'm not that great i didn't pay attention in wood class wood shop because <laughs> uh mr hood um he uh mine was mr know. hodge so it was mr cool. hodge we're close but mr hood didn't i don't think he cared I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, Mr. Hood, you're a great guy, but I just thought he was like, whatever, you're either here or you don't. And I was in my adolescent years where I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah, we had this guy, Mr. Hyde, he was a great teacher. He was engaging yeah. and interesting and 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 it was it was a great uh, uh, experience in school. I mean, I'm I'm I enjoy a lot of self-education. I'm a very avid reader, I'm a science buff, I'm a history buff, I'm a language buff. Uh so uh, you know, I, but I, I'm not a school guy. I don't do Understood. school well. On my own, I do it, but not not in school. So this is great, uh, Mr. Hodges' class at Woodshop, Ken Maurice Senior High School. It was uh, that was a, a great great thing for me. That was just really helped me. Now when I have to explain things to 
people making these bases or modifying them, I know exactly what to say. And, and, and it makes sense with the technology of wood craftsmanship, yeah, you know, grain and face grain, side grain and grain and uh, different characteristics of wood and how you cut it and deal with it. So it's been, they've been very helpful. So I'm looking at the base you're holding right now. I mean, a maple neck, right? Yeah. And then uh, got, okay. uh, these three screws go directly in and these go in at an angle like this. Yeah. Reach in and grab the neck and pull it into the pocket. Okay. So the one problem I had with the original P base is when I do a neck bend, I go that. Then the neck would shift in the pocket like this. Yeah. So uh, not that much, but incrementally enough so that then the strings would be like this. <laughs> and have to take it and snap it back. Right. So the way the screws hold the fender necks in, the hole through the body should there should be a shank there, not threads. It's an, actually an incorrect uh, screw. I'm not criticizing Fender because they're great and they sure. changed the world, but that's not the correct screw for that. Uh, so uh, I tried fixing it by shimming it and torquing it down, but then we got the Yamaha. The one weak spot we have, or for me, of course, not everybody does a ridiculous neck bending either, so it's, it's all my fault no matter what. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, we worked on that neck to body joint right away, got it really solid from the very first version. I had a piece of metal in there that went way deep into the body. And then the next one was all wood. And this one is the third and probably final version of that neck to body joint with those extra screws in there. Man, that's awesome. That is super cool. I got the Schecter over here and I don't think it. I'll take it that. Yep. It's all just straight on in there. Yeah, they're fine. You'll never have a problem with it. It's the same with the P base. You can, you. I mean, if I, it was kind of beat up and cracked my original old P base and I didn't want it to get any more destroyed or lost or stolen on the road. Right. So I retired because it was a very, very valuable thing to me. Sure. Uh, so, uh, so I needed a replacement for it. And we took all the dimensions from that original P base and it's got a 68 telly neck. So we got all those dimensions that are uh, duplicated here uh, exactly where that knob is. So as I'm playing, I know right away to, to get to that volume control without even thinking or looking to see the exact yeah. same place it is on the P. Nice. So uh, we uh, grandfathered all the changes that a little scalloping on the fretboard up here. The last five frets are smaller fret wire for a little more accurate intonation up here. All of that came from that base and was, was done properly on the Yamaha. Because a lot of the, the uh, mods I did on that were kind of hack. But so that's... yeah, the craftsmanship of Yamaha shows through and they did a perfect job of it. That's awesome. Yeah. So. So you said you did, is it only scalloping down at the bottom or yeah, just halfway across? I don't know if you can see it on the uh, thing. It's oh yeah. I see here. it. Yep. Cool. Halfway across. Cause you couldn't push that low E string down. Right. Bit, yeah. If, unless you were Godzilla maybe. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's not really a necessary thing. I did it in my later years with the P bass, but if you're bending a note that high, get that up with you. So having that, the P bass ends at an E flat. One more fret gives you an E note, which is handy in rock because there's a lot sure. of songs in the key of E. Right. And the ability to bend up to the G is, means you're in E minor, which is another important uh, 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 tonality in rock music. So right. it helps for that a little bit. 
one of one of my friend Big Mike, he asked a question and I, I he asked it very strangely, but what how I took it was how did you how do you and I think we kind of touched on this because you practice all the time, is how do you combine so many different styles for any given whether you're doing something with Steve Vai or you're doing stuff with the winery dogs or you're doing talus stuff like it's all it's almost like you're a different bass player you know or a di- you're just a all you're a rounded musician but all of a sudden here you are playing this and you're like what the you know like this is so cool how you know how how have you well, co- developed your craft that way well i grew up at a time when uh radio played everything yeah you'd hear in a half an hour you'd hear uh Johnny Mitchell three dog night grand funk railroad uh uh, uh, uh schubert's uh, 12th symphony I made that up uh, or whatever, all, all in the same time period. And you, and then a pop radio included everything uh, from Conway Twitty to, uh, Oh yeah. Conway uh, Twitty. You know, to uh, uh, what's the name of the band? I forgot. Anyway. Uh, anyway, heavier bands and sure. all kinds of things. So, it was kind of, and when we played in uh, clubs, we had to play a set list that was uh, varied. And we do, we usually have a set list of about 40 or 50 songs. You need a couple slow songs for people to dance. And we slugged that out in the clubs for for decades, uh, yeah. being a copy band before we ever even thought about writing a song. Not unlike almost every other band that there ever was. I got the Beatles' first demo in my iTunes, 20 songs their very first demo to Decca Records. Guess how many of those songs were originals? How many? None. Zero. Wow. Zero. So it was a thing to learn to play a lot of different styles. My first band out of high school was a horn band, Chicago Blood, Sweat, and Tears style. Yeah. Uh, then I got into a band playing all Grand Funk and Cream and Hendrix and uh, a lot of singing bands, Three Dog Night and all that cool. stuff. And then I was a big fan early on of a lot of jazz that was pretty much out of my league as far as understanding or being able to play, but yeah. I was fascinated by it. Uh, so I, 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 a lot of players now, maybe it's a good thing, I don't know, but they're kind of focused on just this one type of music that they only listen to and they don't listen to anything else. That's, that's uh, uh, might be a, a good thing, depending on the person and situation that you're laser focused on one type of thing you're probably going to be pretty, pretty good at it. But for my money, that, that variation of between styles and uh, as things went through time, we were there and watched it evolve from uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand to, to uh, The Long and Winding Road to The White Album, you know, so the, the, the evolution of that particular band, The Beatles, and then every other band around them started out with, you know, love songs and uh, uh, songs about, about girls and Later on, it turned into a psychedelic and prog and uh, fusion and all kinds of things as well. So I think covering them all is, is, is wise for any player. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with focusing, laser focus on one thing, if that's what you'd like to do, I guess. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was my problem in high school. All I did was play thrash metal because I didn't know any better. But as I grew up, um, you know, we we branched out maybe not as much as you've branched out but man (laughs) hey so we've talked about everything touring uh gear and now i like to talk about the beyond if there's any beyond stories do you have any stories from the great beyond and that can be ghosts god aliens we had um 
we had Nest cameras in my condo in LA. And uh, we, I had one in my garage. My garage had a gate to get in the section of the building with all the garage doors and then a garage door itself. So it was okay. a relatively safe place and lived in Sherman Oaks in a great neighborhood, great spot. And so I had a, a Nest camera in my garage. At one pointed out to the street, uh, a couple others around pointing different ways. And uh, I get a, a alert if there's any motion. Yeah. And so I got a motion in the garage. So I, I walk down there, I open the door and there's nothing, I close it. And they usually videotapes the motion. So I didn't think of it at the time. I went back and I said, what, what that motion was? And there was a, about the size of a softball or a cantaloupe orb. Oh, no. Glowing, uh, uh, just glowing. I didn't know sure. if there was. But you could tell by the way it moved, it was not being affected by wind or anything. It was just floating through the garage. And it happened about 10 times. We saw it about 10 times. A couple of times I'd see it and I'd go down there yeah. Try to open the door quick. And a couple of times I tried to open it up real careful and quiet and never actually physically saw it. So I went online and looking around at Nest, if there's any kind of a phenomenon with the technology or something. No, no, no. And, and uh, some people were trying to say it was a dust particle, but this was a glowing yeah. orb. Obviously this big going right through the garage. So I don't, I still don't know what it was, but I, I'm a science buff. Right. And, and uh, was an amateur astronomer when I was a kid and a paleontologist and a biologist and a <laughs> microscopes and I had all kinds of things. So I had, my mom worked for uh, uh, Roswell Park Institute. It was a famous cancer institute in Buffalo, New York. Uh, she also worked for with a couple of other physicians when I was growing up. We always had medical texts and scientific things around us all the time. So I, I was not one to be a, a, a ghost. Uh, right. Yeah, sure. Uh, my first thought wasn't that it was a ghost. I thought maybe something electronic or something, whatever, but there was still absolutely no explanation for it. And there were, like I said, about 10 videos of orbs floating in my garage. Pretty interesting. I believe it. When we played, we played the club that's no longer there that uh, Dimebag was killed in. And it was King's X that played the very first show after that had happened. Um, And there were still bullet holes in the wall. Yeah. And there's this carpet was kind of, anyway and it, it was not it wasn't fun but there was there was photos taken that day and it was when you had digital it was before these so it was like digital it was a digital camera and um i took these photos of the stage and us setting up and us getting ready and all throughout that now it could be dust particles but all throughout that are there's orbs on the stage but it's only a couple of them interesting pretty big i got the photos i'll i'll put them here or here or here <laughs> um but the um man that's great dude this has been great thank you for coming on i really appreciate your time my pleasure um are you planning on going and seeing king's x when they come around and seeing uh king's x i hope i get time too i hope you get time too too man their new record sounds really good um, i played on the uh the drummer solo record a couple of really great songs they remind me of the beatles so much and uh Doug sang on a, I did a track with Doug, me, Vinnie Caliuta on drums, Zing Van guitar, and Doug Pinnock singing Light Up the Sky by Van Halen. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, that's awesome. And Doug killed on it too. He's so great. And then Doug sang a, a, a track on, on uh, 
one of my solo records too came over. It was just fantastic. So uh, I'll get, I hope I get a chance to see him. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, everybody. This has been Ryan 13 with the 13 and Billy Sheehan. Did I say it right? I yes, said it right did. this time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, bro. I uh, hope I see you around. Okay. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Uh, you too. Have a good one.